0: Very warm welcome to Oscar winner BAFTA winner writer director Oliver Stone.
1: <laughs>
0: welcome back to London. Thank you. And congratulations on um, what I I found a very gripping and and moving political dramatic thriller and character study. And I have to say, in all honesty, I know a lot of people here, as well as I did, admired um, the documentary Citizen Four, but I never have really felt that I had a handle on who, who he was, why he did what he did, and all of that. Tell me something, you've, um, I mean, you've got a very bold and epic body of work dealing with controversial figures and, and provocative subjects, but what, was it in particular that you found compelling and particularly cinematic or potentially cinematic in Edwards' story?
1: Well, uh, two thoughts. I mean, quickly, one would be yes, this documentary was a slice of his life. It's very in the present tense uh, for five, six days in Hong Kong. But uh, I think uh, at a deeper level, it was about what were those nine years like? Why did he do this? Who was he talking to? What kind of person? And also, you know, to be honest, 2013 came in went. It was quite shocking. But it, I always felt like the story went. And, and Snowden's worst fear was that uh, the people uh, of uh, the United States would be indifferent, apathetic, uh, which was the word he used. And I have to say, I think that's true. I don't think most people understood in the American society and what the, depth, the depth and breadth of what he was, had achieved and revealed I mean, you have to interpret the story as a journalist. He gave the story to the journalists, as you know, and he said, you do with it, be responsible. You do with it as you will. And they have not released that much yet. What was released was important, but uh, the estimate is that there's a lot more. Uh, And I'm not so sure it's understandable what PRISM was, what the Verizon tap was, what the uh, the uh, outward uh, bow, uh, boundless informant was and the and it's very tough to understand I by taking him through the steps of the film as a young man uh, wide-eyed conservative to the steps one by one he learns more he learns more he learns about not only uh, surveillance mass surveillance but he learns about data mining and about the, the, the power of the drone mapping, uh, where we can kill anybody anywhere. And he also very ominously learns about cyber warfare. It's, it comes up twice in the, in the film. Uh, so, and it is in 1984, beyond any conception of what George Orwell, who's a brilliant writer, could, I think if he turned up in England today, he would be, uh, he'd be quite shocked <laughs> that they're so good at this. But this is a massive, massive deployment development and deployment of American uh, intelligence uh, surveillance on a level never dreamed about by the Stasi or by the Nazis or anybody, and it's very dangerous, not just in terms of your iPhone or your laptop and so forth, because they don't frankly care that much about your personal story, but you're being gathered into a data mining complex that is enormous. It's not about terrorism, as it says in the film, and this is the point Snowden made, Sometimes it's not understood. It's not about terrorism. That catches .002 people in the world. I mean, it's whatever it is. It's, terrorists are not stupid, but it, they tell us it was on the off chance that you might pick up a terrorist if you do everybody. Well, that's silly, and I don't know any, who anybody believes it. You can really catch terrorists the best way, with good detective work, by doing targeted surveillance. Mass surveillance makes no sense, unless you have another objective in mind, and in the movie, Uh, Stone speculates that it's for control, social and economic control of the entire universe which leads to things like knowledge of other governments, knowledge of corporations, knowledge of everything you can get your hands on that leads ultimately to the regime change of whatever country the United States wants to get out of the system, get into the system.
0: Now you went to Moscow and you met him more than once I think. Could you tell us what What you learned from him or what you got out of him that perhaps helped you to shape the film?
1: Oh, many things. Uh, First of all, it was nine times. And I brought my co-writer on the uh, third visit. We started; He was saying things that were precious. I mean, you don't get this from the NSA. James Bamford has written three very interesting books about them, but nobody talks. 30,000 people are there. Why does Ed Snowden talk? Uh, And he told us so much. during those meetings, the details of his life. I think one of the more interesting aspects that came out, I never saw it in journalism, was the story of Lindsay Mills and what she meant to him. Nine-year relationship, you know, it, it was dismissed as a light, uh, as a polch. she was dismissed as a pole dancer and so forth. She was certainly an extrovert. Yeah, she was on, as you know, on uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram and all those things as often as possible. But there was more there than meets the eye. And I think, at the end of the day, she is the only one that he still stays in touch with through those years. She turns up at every, every significant place he served. And she keeps him human, is what I'm trying to say. She keeps him human, yeah. which means talking to another person. A lot of these people are very brilliant, they're, but they're amoral. They don't see the conflict. A lot of them have families, or they can't do anything because they don't want to jeopardize their, their careers. Uh, Snowden is a different case, very I think regressive, uh, what's the word emotionally repressed? Mm-hmm. Uh, really difficult for him to say anything, do anything. He's a spy, he can't tell her anything. And I think that leads to, in my opinion, uh, of course you I'm, I have hindsight on it. Uh, I think he's like a Joseph K character in Kafka, uh, working for a state system that he can just dis- he's so uncomfortable with it, he gets spiritually sick by the time he gets his first epilepsy attack, which com- came about that time. which was a- He was dislocated as a person, not happy. Uh, of course, I didn't know that person. I only knew the person after he'd released the uh, sickness, so to speak. Yeah. He vomited it up with the-, the epilepsy was a sign of it. And I think uh, she was important in it. So to me, the scene where he tells her, uh, I stopped taking the Tegretol, is very important. It indicates to me that. Uh, I'm gonna do something now.
0: I know you met with other NSA whistleblowers and tech heads. And when you're finding the balance between all of that authenticity in a film that's inevitably full of computers and people talking about computers, um, and you also want to, you don't want to oversimplify it, did you you have a sort of motto or mantra or idea in your head that was the one thing that you kind of clung to to, of how you wanted it to, to, to play.
1: I always felt it was his story told by him, and I always made it subjective. He's in every scene. That's been the style I use in, generally in the movies, the subjective style. So I see the world through his eyes as much as possible. Um,
0: Apparently, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was your first choice. Why? My
1: first and last, thank God. I didn't have to go on an actor, uh, star, a movie star search, <laughs> which is, you know, what that's like. Uh, no, it was like I came back from meeting him, and I, uh, I, th- I thought Joseph, whose work I did, I never knew him, I didn't know him, but his work felt, and felt like Snowden. He looked like him a bit, and he felt like him. And uh, when I met him, he is what he is. He's a computer fascination, uh, new generation, and uh, at the same time, passive, let's say, passive actor. He's a minimalist, you'd, I would say, in the acting. And I think Shailene takes on the role of, of the activist in a way, the, uh, the doer, the more male role uh, traditionally.
0: It's interesting because Edward seems like the kind of guy, I mean, a guy, you know, a, not, not your usual protagonist is what I'm trying to say, a guy no. who's very smart, but you know, if you met him, well, at least some years ago, you would probably find him a pretty dull guy at a yeah. party.
1: Yeah. Very dull. He's very asocial, and
0: uh, and that's hard to play and make it an interesting. Very set much of so.
1: Happens. Yeah, I think a lot of people were fooled by that and thrown by it. He's not. He's not at all the Jason Bourne look or the James Bond look. No. And there's no guns in the movie. There's no uh, car chases. And you know, I, I think and I knew there was so much computer stuff. And I hate that. Uh, but I really think if you can put the emotion into the face, watching the computer, you can find uh, and you find the balance. But the computer work, I have to say, was done beautifully by the German group. The German staff. Really, uh, the, in Berlin is a free-for-all for uh, hackers. So we brought a lot of good people in. They actually studied all the slides that Snowden released, as many as they could get, I guess. And uh, they did a great job of the details. If you look closely in the movie the second time, which we shot in 4K, so there is great resolution on the computer scenes. Uh, you will see that a lot of those details those little tiny things are accurate to the uh, to the slides i want to say one more thing just oh, yes, about because I, I i i lost my train of thought is uh, as to his, his his he's a very private and shy person and he always avoided the limelight and he was so he doesn't want to be photographed and when he did this, you know, he always insisted that he actually confessed to it right away. He didn't want any <laughs> colleagues to be hunted. So by taking on that burden of saying, I am Edward Joseph Snowden, and I, this is uh, why I did it, he, 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 he felt that he cleaned the decks. I mean, there would be no blood on the decks. That's what he was hoping. Yeah. Unfortunately, because the message was, I, as I said earlier, too complicated, I think, for most people to really convey, I think they went after him. Kill the messenger, you kill the message. So the attacks were severe and vicious. Traitor, spy, uh, all kinds of. He was a low-level narcissist looking for fame. Uh, you know, you heard everything. The, the gamut.
0: Let's open up to the audience. Have we got some uh, questions here?
1: Um,
2: you, you mentioned Joseph K. and uh, Franz Kafka, and I'm thinking the the door to the law is always open, but. In front of the door, there stands a doorkeeper who will not let <laughs> Joseph K. or Snowden through. And the last example we saw of it was was Hillary Clinton. And surprisingly, when you think about, you know, it, the ways in which one admires him, Barack Obama, and they're not allowed to open the door to the law to poor Mr. Snowden. I, I was just wondering. If you thought that would ever happen, sorry, that's a political question. Also, how would you classify the sort of really strong drama which we've just seen? It was how know, would I classify tragi- this tragedy, tragicomedy? comedy, uh, thriller, or, uh,
1: or drama? I would say thriller drama. Yeah, definitely, it's a drama because there's choices involved and conflicts involved. And as you said, very, it's just an unconventional uh, leading man, correct? Unconventional leading man. Uh, who, uh, but I found when I was talking to him more and more that he actually had feelings for, for uh, Lindsay because you could tell uh, he'd talk about her in a certain way. And when she actually joined him in Moscow, my God, he was so happy. It, ch- it changed his... But he's a man on a mission, and if it was necessary, he never saw her again. He, he walked out on her. That was why those last scenes were a little sentimental, but I think it's important. He had a heart. He has one. He wants to come back.
2: Is that something that the U.S. government cannot be seen to be doing, is to forgive him and, in fact, give him a medal for what he's done and and open the door to the law and let him back to be able to
1: travel? No, they won't let him back, and not with this mentality unless Obama, by a stroke of grace, grants him that pardon. And it would be good for Obama to do that because it would be contrary to his policy of oppressing journalists and prosecuting whistleblowers, to which... He's done to a maximum degree. Washington is now a really paranoid, He always was paranoid, but even more paranoid. I'm told by my friends in Washington that if you are a government employee and you have a, a meeting with a media person, you have to get permission before. Uh, it's a, a high level of, uh, of watching and uh, suspicion. Uh, and All the leaks have to be pro-American, as we know from the Obama administration, leaks all the time, but it's always stuff about makes them look good. This is a disastrous uh, administration in terms, and for a man who was a constitutional lawyer who called quite often for transparency in government, I'm, it's shocking. It's shocking how you can lie to the, to the electorate and then just turn around and do something completely different. All
3: right, so it's a kind of a mixed political question, movie question. So broadly speaking, we're, we're, we're this is London, we're broadly speaking. Uh, liberal, open-minded, you know, this type of... You, you've won your audience before the movie started, in this type of audience. What do you... Th- how do you feel this movie would play in what they call sometimes the flyover states or the square states, or I suppose we should now call the Donald Trump states? Uh, <laughs> you know, ha- where... Because because the whole Snowden story hits at the very kind of... Court, you know, the, the notion of a traitor is such a deep, deeply psychological notion that someone amongst us is, you know, selling us and you know, doing something desperately dangerous to us. So it's very hard to persuade people that someone is actually acting in your interest when they've been painted as a traitor. So as I say, I think most people tonight, I'm guessing, came to the film already with the view that Snowden isn't that. But there's a large audience, particularly in America, who would feel, literally feel the opposite. And I just wonder, are you hoping that the film will somehow persuade them or open their minds to that, to that possibility that he isn't a traitor?
1: (laughs) Well, you've asked a very intricate, long question. Listen. All all I could do here was be a dramatist. I'm not an activist. I I never have been. Uh, And and the drama speaks for itself. I just told his story. You know, it's not my story, but it's a story that interests me because of what's at stake. Uh, The uh, the American uh, people are, uh, except for a a minority, are, are not interested in. People who give away secrets, I think the American categorization of him has stuck. He's just a guy who's given away secrets, and they often confuse him with, 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 uh, with Julian Assange and with uh, Chelsea Manning. They, you know, a lot of people have said they don't know the difference. Uh, so, you know, anybody who gives away secrets is immediately suspected, as, would, as is a whistleblower, for that matter. The guy in the tobacco company that was featured in the movie, The Insider, had a hard time every whistleblower has a hard time it's funny that way and they' are generally people who are in advanced in advance of the group think and they pay a hard price for it and I've seen so many instances of it uh, the uh, British state is a whole other state man they they're uh, there's a strange world in Britain uh, you accept the sovereignty of the individual comes first in America used to come first that's And, you know, we revolted against the British because we didn't like them running around our houses, invading them, taking our papers or uh, owning us in that sense as a colonial country. And uh, search and seizure, it was the reason, it was to keep the British soldiers out of our quarters. And one of the amendments is actually about British soldiers in your quarters, they're not allowed to quarter there. But anyway, uh, the British, the Magna Carta is a strange document to me. I don't understand the British Official Secrets Act. that a a GCHQ can come in, and on the basis of of, uh, whatever they say, they can close down a newspaper like The Guardian. That was one of the issues in the film. And it it played out in Britain, as you know. They made The Guardian people smash their own computers. The secrets were taken out of England and given to the New York office. Uh, So uh, British law is is, uh, very much intrusive surveillance. Uh, I don't know what rights, I don't know the law, I don't know what rights uh, an individual has, but all, you know, it's a simple argument. To me, it's the difference between mass surveillance and targeted surveillance, and Snowden raises it several times in the movie. Targeted surveillance, I'll go with. Most of us will go with, because it makes sense. It really catches bad guys, or should. Often, you know, when all these terrorist acts break out after 2001, even before it, You get the background, and he's been logged somewhere. He's on a profile check. Most of these people get known, but they don't connect the dots in time and so forth and so on. I don't know how mass surveillance will do that or help in any way except be what it is, a naked grab at at power. Power, and basically I feel like a suspect in my country. Everyone is. Every one of us is a suspect. This is a very strange time, a twist, a twist. It's, It's basically about people with technology, bureaucrats getting more and more power and realizing that they could take it.
0: How did you get a film like this financed? And secondly, how much have you can't... changed your life? A little louder. Uh, how did you get a f- this film financed? And have you changed your life? Have you stopped posting so many pictures on Facebook? Uh, of yourself? How have I Have changed you become my life? more paranoid is, I think, the question. <laughs> have you put masking yeah. tape on your computer? Well, I think
1: they, they say I was born paranoid, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've become more aware, certainly. And I don't, I've done all the above,
0: and, and, the and, it, and you have
1: to reach that decision. I mean, I've had a pretty—I've pretty much embarrassed myself in public quite a bit, so I'm not as, uh, you know, I, I'm not as uptight about it because I'm sure they know a lot about me if they want to. And
0: uh. financing the film,
1: hmm?
0: financing of the film—was it difficult? That was
1: very difficult, painful film to make. Not only to to get your head around the entire script, which is complicated. I think we ended up throwing. 50% of our research out the window, just couldn't handle that thickness of a f- complexity in a film. And uh, we got it done through, uh, you know, every American studio turned it down, every major. It was very disturbing. The corporations behind them did not want anything to do with Snowden, which is the problem when you get corporations in this business that are so, so big, uh, they're not gonna take this uh, responsibility on and they don't want it. They wanna have TV shows and a comfort, a comfort economy uh, we ended up uh, getting financed out of uh, France and Germany, primarily, and European sales. England uh, did not participate, did not, was not interested in the film, and frankly, uh, all the major uh, English uh, distributors from the states refused it, of course, but on the independent British level, nobody was interested, which was depressing to me. And about 10 days ago, uh, finally, an independent distributor, a fine one, stepped up, uh, Vertigo, and that's why I'm here tonight. Uh, although I started with, we, we were invited to the London Film Festival, mm-hmm. which was, a, uh, and we did that on Saturday night. Jeremy Corbyn came to the red carpet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> piss off the British. And uh,
0: the, the Daily Mail said it was a very red carpet. Yeah. And he <laughs> <a candidate. laughs>
1: but uh, no, I, I Vertigo is uh, taking it on for December first week of December, December two, I believe.
4: Uh, In your discussions with Snowden, one-on-one, particularly in this peculiar political year, uh, has he expressed to you, or did he express to you, any fear of extradition? Uh, My mind jumps to Trump's friendship with Putin, or alleged friendship. And someone like Mike Pence, who would probably love to have him had up for treason, in the, in the event that, that uh, Trump wins. The, uh, do you Trump. Did Snowden express to you any fear that he might eventually be extradited? or? Well, or? I think you
1: have it backwards, I really do. Uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, you have to realize that uh, the United States does not have an extradition treaty by its own choice with Russia. The yeah. Russia has for years asked for a treaty and wanted to because they wanted some of the gangsters Russian gangsters who stole a lot of money from yeah. the state. They want them back, and the U.S. has never signed that treaty. When the Snowden affair happened, and it was the United States who froze his passport, took it, uh, suspended it, and uh, he was a, he was stuck here in Russia at the airport for those 40 days. It wasn't a it, it wasn't his first choice, but it was perhaps his best choice in the end, yeah. because Russia is the only country in the world, I believe, maybe China, maybe Iran, who could protect him against uh, the United States. Uh, There's no question that if he'd gone to South America, in my mind, they would have gotten him with pressure. And there are enormous pressures that they can put on, as we know, Ecuador recently. Do you think the relationship
4: Uh, might change? I know it's a political uh, question. I'm She's wondering if the relationship might
0: change because uh, Trump and Putin are allegedly buddies.
1: I think, uh, really, uh, you're seeing something that's not Russia is staying very neutral, now, despite what you read in the British and American press. Russia is staying very neutral in this. This is a state policy. It makes sense to them. Uh, they have, they would have to talk to either one who wins. I think they figure out that Clinton is going to win, so why would they uh, seek to make an enemy of her? I think she's playing the issue for the Democrat side because it, it fa- and I think it's a very cheap shot, but she's taking it, and she's made declarations that the Russians have done it, that no one intelligent in the, so-called intelligence community has said is true. There's it's always probably, or possibly, or there's a pattern here, but there's no evidence. And that is the nature of, and it's true in, our, in our, every aspect of cyber warfare. It's very hard to figure out who started it. Uh, there's so much now cyber warfare, but in the, the United States started it in 2007 with the Stuxnet virus in Iran. And it took the guy, I met the researcher who broke the uh, code it took him six, seven, eight months. I forgot, but he told me how difficult it was because it was put together by teams of Israeli scientists and military people and US people. It takes six, seven months. So how, how, does people, how can you figure out in three, four days uh, this kind of accusation? You have to be really patient because it's a very dangerous time, very dangerous. And people are saying things that are really stupid. Among them, I hate to say, is a US presidential candidate.
0: Lady here. Yep.
3: Hi. Um, well, thank you very much for bringing that story back to life again in such amazing fashion. Um, I'm from Hong Kong, so it was nice to see Hong Kong again. I'm just wondering, why did um, Snowden choose Hong Kong to tell the story again? Why did he why position did, himself Why in? did
0: Snowden choose Hong Kong for the rendezvous?
1: Well, it had a history of, uh, as he said at the time, it has a history of uh, independence and a history of respecting uh, human rights. That's, of course, what he said. But uh, I think Hong Kong has been a pretty always been in my mind a pirate colony, because it belonged to the British and then it belonged to the Chinese. But it always went, it kept its own way. It was always a pirate capital, and it had power, and symbolism. Uh, but I think in the end, uh, I I met his lawyer uh, Thibault, who who uh, he was under pressure there. He he had to get out. WikiLeaks saved his help save him. They uh, they uh, sent the, uh, Sarah Harrison over, and she did a job of good job of guiding him. I think they bought 20 airline tickets to different destinations. He barely got out. But the Hong Kong people were pressured by the U.S. There's a big CIA station there, and or they used to be, and uh, yeah, they're still there. I think yes, yeah, absolutely, they're still there. So. Uh, It it could have been Iceland, but I think uh, Hong Kong worked for him. But uh, Timbo told me that he would have gone to jail in Hong Kong for... But they would have kept him in jail for two years probably before they turned him over, and they would eventually probably have turned him over to the US.
2: Thank you very much for such a dynamic film and brought to our attention such a dynamic story. Uh, But I think one of the reasons so much we enjoyed the film, I think it was just you were invisible in this film, but which is, to me, is such achievement. Um, And I'm just interested, how did you manage to make that in these different stages, to make it uh, such a dynamic, was it too much you spent on the script, production, post-production? I think it looks to me a lot of it possibly, still you were working uh, during the post-production, in the structure. I'm more or less interested in the craftsmanship of this wonderful film.
1: More interested in the what? Uh,
0: The craftsmanship of the film and whether you did like a lot in post-production still. It was
1: really difficult. I I have to say it was a tough one because uh, too much computer work, too much computer talk, and you were dealing with language. But the idea is keep it moving as much as possible. And even if people don't understand, they know more or less what's going on. So, I mean, it, to me in many ways was like JFK because that had a lot of arcane information and you kept going because you knew it was mysterious and there was enough tension to keep going. So uh, you don't have to understand all the dialogue, but you get the idea. And that was one idea. And uh, the other idea was cut, cut, cut. Now we shot more. We were most scared of the Hong Kong scenes because here we have to spend six, seven, seven scenes in a small room. You can imagine uh, my DP, Anthony, uh, Dodd Mantle, how are we going to make this work? Well, dialogue, dialogue, fucking dialogue. You know, he, you know, DPs don't like too much dialogue. Uh, and uh, it was hard because we were, I had, we were, Kieran Fitzgerald and I were revising the script all the way through. You know, we'd run the lines, run this, we'd figure out ways to say the same things quicker, but sometimes you lose the audience too. It was always difficult uh, that way. And even in the editing, that was extremely, uh, re-write, a lot of rewriting going on getting it down to two hours. Actually, the film is two hours and six minutes. Uh, it's eight minutes of titles. So it's, but we're very proud of that, getting it to two hours and six minutes. But everything was crucial. I mean, you cannot understand the next stage unless you understand what he learned in the previous stage. So Geneva does build to, uh, to uh, uh, Japan. Japan builds to Balt- uh, back to Baltimore, Washington, and that builds to Hawaii with the epilepsy.
0: In a, in a rave review in the New York Times, the writer said it was it was so great to see that you remain an old school humanist and a poet of flesh and blood. I thought that was a great line, and I so say we all. And thank you for a, a very exciting political drama. Thank, thank you for your insight.